Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. How are you all today? I hope that you are well. I hope that your hearts are in peace and that wherever you are, there are moments of magic that are alighting upon your life. And I think life is about that. It's about finding moments that truly excite you, that make you want to be alive, because that is so important with all the doom and gloom that can happen through life. It's just one of those things, unfortunately, that we can all go through and have been through. And the most important thing is not to miss an opportunity to grab life with both hands and to follow your heart truly to that which gives you peace and excitement and keeps those butterflies fluttering inside of you. That is what life is about, to remain positive despite all that is going on around us. It's so important that we are with like-minded people with like-minded souls that can lift our spirits, that can keep us walking along this life and keep us hoping for a brighter tomorrow. Now, I am actually very excited to have my guest tonight here, who is the very well-known British actor and writer, Eddie Webber. Eddie's childhood began in the working class streets of southeast London in the 60s and 70s. His journey wasn't an easy one, with many twists and turns throughout. One event, especially that changed him forever, was being wrongly accused of a serious crime, something that haunted him for a very long time. His past has been colourful and interesting. From going to live in a kibbutz in Israel, to enrolling in drama school, to becoming a born-again Christian, and battling substance abuse on and off for years, before getting his big break in Nick Loves the Business. Since then, Eddie has graced the red carpet for films such as The Firm and The Rise of the Foot Soldier, as well as being in the ever-popular TV series EastEnders. He has worked with some of the most well-known directors and producers and actors of time today. He has also written two books, one being his autobiography, 
called Hi Dizzle DD and a book on meditation. He is a passionate advocate of Sri Ramana Maharshi's teachings. And it's this way really of contemplative life that has led him to embrace a life of spiritual awareness and to finally gain peace. Today, he shares his incredible story. Welcome, dear Eddie. Pleasure to be here, Mimi. Thank you for uh, having me on your show. Oh, you're very welcome. That was, beautiful. that was beautiful. That was a lovely, beautiful intro. It was really uh, beautiful. Thank you. Oh, and it was all just for you, Eddie. Ah. <laughs> very well deserved. I'm so glad to have you here, really. And we were speaking, Eddie and I, earlier, and I, I'm just so excited because he is such, to the listeners out there, he's such an interesting and amazing character, really. And we cannot wait. The world can't wait to hear your story. So tell us, how are you first, Eddie? I'm okay. I've, 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 I've been up a few chimneys today, chimney sweeps, and uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. It's, it's uh, yeah, I can't really find anything to, uh, anything negative to say at the moment about. No, don't say anything negative. My life, you know, it's, it's, mm. it's, it's beautiful. Like I said to you early, yes. earlier. I live in Brighton, you know, I've got the sea in my backyard. I've got uh, so much creativity buzzing around. Yeah, it's beautiful, Mimi. Absolutely. Life's, life's, life is how it should be. That is such a wonderful thing to hear, Eddie, because we hear so many things that are wrong um, in this world. But to hear something so lovely, and your words are quite lovely, really, someone who is I suppose satisfied with their lot and grateful also that's there's a lot to be said for that what I think is about really what uh, like you were saying at the beginning really is it, you've got to get to a point really where you can decipher the illusion from the reality you know yeah. and a lot of what goes on really is just an illusion, isn't it? So mm. once you can get past that or 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 acknowledge the illusion, then you can go underneath it sort of thing. And I think when you was talking about Ramana Maharshi and 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 the spiritual aspect of it all, mm. that is why we do them sort of things, you know, to get rid of the illusion, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Absolutely, it does. Now, you have, as I said, led a very colourful life. Let's start somewhere. Let, let's go back to the beginning, as far back as, I suppose, when you grew up in London. How was your life? How did your life start? Uh, it was... It, uh... It was even starting to get crazy when <clears throat> my earliest memory is of when I was about 18 months old and I, I trod on a wasp. And that was the sort of first conscious shock that I ever got sort of thing. And then mm. it went up and down from there, really. But life, 
in the 1960s in Bermondsey, I come from Bermondsey, South East London, I can't remember it being anything other than than, than colourful, really. And mm. uh, it wasn't black and white like we all imagine the 60s to be when we look at TV and we look at this. Uh, uh, it was, it was, I come from a very working class environment. My father was a docker in the docks mm-hmm. and my mum had four children by the age of sort of 21. Uh, three children by the age of 21, all in nappies sort of thing. And she, she had me when she was 18 and my two brothers by the time she was 21 sort of thing. And uh, there wasn't any lifts or any mod cons or anything around in them days. So it was a very sort of insular unit, you know? Mm, mm. And it was very... Uh, out on the streets and, you know, wiping your nose with your shirt sleeves sort of life. It was, it was, it was beautiful. Yeah, it was okay. And your teenage years? Teenagers. Yeah, I mean, what were your dreams? What were um, coming from, I suppose, a difficult life in a way? What were your dreams, Eddie? I didn't really have any dreams. I didn't have any dreams until... You didn't have any dreams? Well, I think <clears throat> indirectly, I I used to love listening to music, just music, 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 music. And then I got to about the age of 13 and I asked my parents to get me a guitar and they bought me a guitar. <clears throat> but... I didn't know it in, in them days, obviously, because I'm quite dyslexic as well, sort of chronically dyslexic. Uh, and so I had this guitar, but I didn't have anybody to teach me how to play the guitar. And I know that could 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 be deemed as an excuse sort of thing. And I remember being in school, uh, and I hated school, Mimi. I hated it. I hated it with the vengeance. And I still, when I see... TV programs and they go inside schools, it just subliminally kills me. I I get that feeling back again. Mm. But there was one, I think the first time I ever got uh, the delusion of of school was we had a music teacher. When When I left my primary school, I, we had to do exams in the primary school that takes us into some sort of stream in the secondary school. And there was an, a, an alpha stream, an A stream, a B stream and a C stream. And they put me in the A stream. And it, when you were in the A stream, you could do music lessons in school. Mm. And we had this beautiful teacher called uh, Mrs Gregory and I used to sit with her on the piano and, and, and just tinkle about with it. It was it was really, really beautiful. But all my friends that that, that went from primary school were in the B section. Are you following me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are in the B section. So I I, I, I so wanted to get demoted from the A uh, stream to the B stream and I've done my best to 
to do that. And then I did. I got demoted to the B stream to be with all my friends. But the trouble with the B stream was you couldn't do music. And that was it, you know? And 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 I was really that's the only thing I really regret, really, because my dreams now, in retrospect, was to learn to play jazz on the piano and 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 and, and just live life traveling the world in playing jazz piano in hotels and things like that, you know. So mm-hmm. I, that that all got scuffered really. And I and I really, really this is all in retrospect. I think the music teacher should have sort of fought for me to carry on doing music, but it was a comprehensive school system where teachers really didn't 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 care about you if you wasn't prepared to learn sort of thing they never really took any time to to see your potential you know mm-hmm. and then i went through school and then i started getting in with the wrong crowd and then not going to school and then just totally totally going absolutely haywire and i remember when I was 16, you had to have an interview with your careers officer. They sent a careers officer in. And I remember sitting in a, in a room with this, with this careers, this very grey person, and he was saying to me that you can be a bricklayer, you can be a plasterer, you can be a forklift driver, but I really didn't want to be any of them, them sort of things. I knew... I suppose it wasn't a dream, but I knew I wanted to do something within the arts, you know, but I didn't have any sort of uh, any illusions of grandeur in any way, but I just wanted to do that. But he said to me, no, these are the only sort of jobs available to you. So being quite rebellious and contemptuous as I was, I just told him I was going to be a criminal. And then I jumped over the fence of school and never went back really at 16. And that that was really it, really. And other than that, as a social sort of, uh, Mm -hmm. the social side of it all, we were just getting up to sort of naughty things all the time as kids, you know. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't really have a lot of money and and, uh, we just had to find our own money, you know. Yeah. Well, you probably don't know, but the, yeah, yeah, I understand. I you understand. Know, it, mm. it, it was, it was. Uh, we didn't have much of a chance, really, because our parents were too busy trying to make ends meet in their own way as well. You know, we didn't have that sort of parental discipline. I didn't have parents like that. I think my mum was just worn out with bringing up four children, and my dad. He, 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 he didn't really care, you know. So we were left to our own devices all the time. And that's what happened, really. And then we started, sort of, things started to escalate a little bit. And it's it's all in my book as well, you know. Now, we started getting on the wrong side of the tracks. And then at the age of, sort of, 18, I started, I got my first prison sentence and then, and then it just went on and on. It just went. It was a never-ending sort of cycle of 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 greyness, you know, up until the age of about twenty-four. 
am I going too far in front now, Mimi? No, not at all. Not at all. And then, as you as you said in the book, uh, uh, in the introduction, one morning I was uh, I was asleep in a flat that I had, and there was this massive, massive banging on the door, and it was like seven o'clock in the morning, and in the book, I say, you know, there's only two reasons that people bang like that at seven o'clock in the morning, and it's it's either your girlfriend, but my girlfriend had keys to the flat, to the flat, and the only other people that do that sort of thing are the police. So I sort of crept out of bed and looked through the spy hole, and there was just these high-powered sniper rifles just all pointed at the door sort of thing, and then the police come in and and I ended up getting getting arrested for uh, a murder, two attempted murders and an armed robbery. And how old were you, Eddie? I was 20, I think I was 23. Yeah, I was 23 because I had my 25th birthday in Israel. And then what happened, mm. they took me to the, to the station, the police station, and put all these charges to me. And they asked me if I would stand on identification for them because they had witnesses. So I agreed, obviously, because I knew I'd never done any of these 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 crimes. And uh three security guards picked me out positively positively for uh an armed robbery and attempted murder. So I got remanded in custody as an A-category prisoner. And that's when the nightmare began, really. Oh my God! It and was, how long? How long did that go on for? Well, it in my head, I, it was the start of sort of twenty-three years in prison, you know. But uh, I'm I'm not a believer in God, Mimi. I've, I've lost that belief uh, ages ago, uh, quite a while ago. But something happened. I remember being in the, in the, in the prison cell when I when I when I believed there was a god. Looking up into this, up looking up into on into the ceiling, as that's where we look when we talk to God, sort of thing. And and just saying, look, I really sort of been. I was in such a bad way. I was hooked on uh, barbiturates and everything because that's the only way I could get through the. Uh, uh, the situation that I was in. And I just looked up and I just screamed for life justice, you know. I demanded life justice. And this was after about four months. And then uh, my mum, because I also had a bro two brothers, one was doing 12 years in prison and the other one was doing 15 years in prison at this time. And my mum fell into a little nostalgic moment and she she pulled out a box of prison letters and she started thumbing through the letters and then she picked what happened was I, I had all these charges I had the murder charge which was separate from the attempted murder in the armed robbery and I had another attempted murder charge which a guy was in a bar Someone bumped into him, spilt his drink, and he shot him, this this person. And then 
there was a bouncer outside a pub in Bermondsey one Friday night. Someone pulled up in a motorbike and shot him. And then there was this attempted murder in this armed robbery where this security guard got shot. So they had all these bullets, but they didn't have no gun. And each, 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 each crime committed was committed with the same gun sort of thing. So they just had all these bullets. So they had all these witnesses of, of the person that done this. And I went, when I, when I was in the police station, the first identification parade that I, that I was standing in was for the murder of the bouncer in the pub. And the witness come, all the witnesses come in and they never picked me out at all. So, you know, as it should have been. And then the yeah. second identification was for the armed robbery and the attempted murder. And then the door opened and one of the security guards that was delivering the money that got robbed picked me out, positively picked me out. And when you're in them situations, uh, in, in identification parades, you can change spaces and swap clothes with people and so I changed the space took my shirt off and took another man's shirt off and then when the guy who got shot come in to to to, to pick out the 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 person that that shot him he picked me out as well and then another one come in and he picked me out so out of all the witnesses out of all the crimes the only three people that picked me out were three people in uniforms so I was just charged with the attempted murder in the armed robbery. Cut to four months later, my mother was in the house and she pulled a box out. And for some reason, she took this letter out of this box and she was reading it. And it was a letter sent from my brother who was doing 12 years on the Isle of Wight in Parkhurst, I think it was, Parkhurst or Albany. And as she read the letter she saw this date and this date just triggered in her mind. And it was the same day that I was arrested for, the, the, the shooting and the armed robbery. The armed robbery and the, and, 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 and the, and the attempted murder happened uh, two o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. But this letter said, what a fantastic visit, you and Eddie coming up and see me and, and, and thanks, thank Eddie for handing in my, my uh, appeal papers because my brother was going through an appeal. And the time on that was 12.30. So at 12.30 on the day of that armed robbery and the attempted murder, I was in a prison in the Isle of Wight handing in court, court papers. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So it was impossible for me to be at that place when I was at that place. And then, of course, it triggered memories because at the time, it's like me saying to you now, if you ever got a diary, what was you doing October the 15th last year? You just wouldn't have a If you never shot anyone, you wouldn't have a clue, really, would you? No, Both I wouldn't mine. have a clue. <laughs> so, so then what happened... I thought, right, because a lot of strange things happened that day because I was reading a book and it was the sequel 
to Woman of Substance. You know that film? Oh, is it Barbara Taylor Bradford? Correct. Mm. And the sequel was called Hold On To That Dream. And I remember seeing the, the thing on TV and then seeing the sequel book and I bought the book. So I thought, I'll take that and I'll read it on the train journey to the Isle of Wight. But I left it in the taxi when I got when I got to the prison to go into the prison. So and I thought, oh God, I've lost that book. Anyway, I told my lawyer about that, my barrister about that book, and he put a private investigator onto the island. And the cab driver still had the book in his bookshelf. They found the cab driver that took me to the prison. How I think remarkable. bizarre, really bizarre. So, mm. so, so bizarre. But, and, and then they dropped all the charges on me. So how long, Eddie, were you in prison for? For that one, I was in there for four months as a maximum security prisoner before the alibi had come up. But you were sentenced to 23 years? No, no, that's what could have happened if this alibi... Ah. So, so what I'm saying to you, in my head, I was going to be in there for 23 years because this alibi mm-hmm. never come out and I've got three positive mm-hmm. ideas, or at least it's going to be a big fight to prove my innocence, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then when I come out, I uh, I started proceedings against uh, a detective inspector from the murder squad and a detective inspector from the Sweeney, which is the robbery squad. Mm. And I had another detective. There's a point to this, what I'm saying now. There, mm-hmm. uh, I had another detective in, inspector investigating from the... Uh, a detective inspector from the A10 force, which was the uh, internal invest police internal investigation force. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he was in charge of of the of the of, of the case, and he was. Oh, I'm trying to find the word now for it. He was investigating the other two DIs, and then someone sent me a book. And said, look, mm-hmm. read this. Before you go any further with this court case, read this. And it was a book on Freemasonry. Mm-hmm. And it was a book called The Brotherhood by Stephen Knight. And, I mean, it's very difficult to get hold of now because this guy mysteriously got killed, really, and and, it, and the book was banned immediately in the 1980s. Margaret Thatcher sort of banned the book. And there was a chapter in the book about the police. So I read this, this, this chapter and it, and it said anybody in the police force that's not in uniform is a Freemason. So and, and when, you, when you see all these old detective uh, sergeants in police stations in uniforms and they've been there for like 40, 50 years, and they're still in uniform, the only reason that they're still in uniform is that they de- Decline to become Freemasons. It's part of the sort of uh, progression progression of police officers. And uh, I thought to myself, well, I've got a detective inspector investigating two more detectives in, in uh, inspectors, and it just all something esoterical sort of started happening to me and. And then when the guy who was who was <clears throat> investigating the two DIs phoned me one day, 
I sort of greeted him with a Freemason greeting on the phone. <laughs> and and there was just a moment there, uh, which was quite scary after I said it. And then I said to him, look, I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to drop all charges against these two, dete- uh, these two detective inspectors, but I just want you to leave me alone. And he said, yes, okay. And then two weeks after that, I was in Israel. And you were? I went to Israel. And did a complete life change. I lived there for two years and I got involved in music. I started on the kibbutz, but Mm. they they chucked me off the kibbutz. I don't know if you know what a kibbutz is. Yes, yes, I've heard about them. Um, but please explain. Well, it's it's it, they're little communes in Israel, and uh, they get volunteers from all over the world to come and live on the kibbutz and 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 and, and do all the work, like picking bananas and picking apples and mm. picking avocados and all that. And you don't get no wages, but you get all your board and lodging, and you get mm-hmm. a little bit of money, sort of every two weeks or something just to buy some chocolate and, and and whatnot. It was so beautiful. But I'd never, ever experienced anything like like it in my life, ever, ever, ever. And I met this guy who had a club in the town that the that, that was on, the kibbutz was on the outskirts of this town called Rehovot. And he had a little club there, and there was a band that used to play there. So I used to go down there with all the other people on the kibbutz, and every now and then I used to just get up and and sing and play the guitar with the band, sort of thing. And then I got friendly with this with this with the guy who owns the club, but he was quite connected in the wrong side of the tracks in Israel, sort of thing. So. Mm-hmm. I started sort of, I met this sort of Russian mafia unit uh, in Israel and I started sort of changing up dollars on the kibbutz for them and selling a little bit of cannabis and whatnot. Mm. And one evening I got arrested by the police. I, it, I could go on forever and ever and ever and ever about this. Uh, but to cut a long story short, and it is cutting it quite short, Mm. I uh, got chucked off of the kibbutz and I didn't have no money and I didn't have no aeroplane ticket home or anything. And I was sitting in this club where I used to go to every week and the band was playing and my friend who was with me on the kibbutz said, go up and have a song. So I went up and had a song. And over the, the, the months, I got friendly with a few people in the band. So this evening, uh, I explained to the bass player what's happened uh, that I've been thrown off the kibbutz and I've got nowhere to live or anything. And he just said to me, join the band. And I said, but you've got a singer. He said, I'll sack the singer because they're really not very good. They wasn't very good at singing sort of Western songs. So that evening I joined the band. I moved in with the Israelis and then just started touring in a band out there for about, for the next, I don't know, 13, 14 months really, until it was time to come home. So I started the music thing that we started this conversation with coming to fruition now. But And then 
when it was time to come home, I come home to London after two years and I formed another band in London and then the band folded up and I just thought, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to I, I, I be involved in art. And then I went to a, a local theatre company that was based in, uh, in Bermondsey and just walked into the door and just said, look, I want to be an actor. What have I got to do? And he went, well, you've come to the right place. Come upstairs. We're workshopping at the moment. So I went upstairs and and all these people were being aspirins and trees and, you know, that sort of stuff that, that you do in drama workshops. And mm. I just sat on the sidelines thinking, oh, this is not for me. I thought, you go straight into making movies sort of thing. So I put my hand up and it was this wonderful, wonderful man who I'm eternally grateful to called Adrian Jackson. He was, he was, he was the, he was running the workshops. So I put my hand up and asked, I said, look, I'm just going to go to the toilet. Is that okay? He said, you haven't got to ask. Anyway, uh, I, I went out of the room with the intention of never coming back again. And then halfway down the stairs, he popped his head out and said, you are coming back, aren't you? And I went, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I went back up there and they cast me in a play that night and it just went from there, really, from there to drama college. Oh, my goodness. And then and then drama college was just another thing. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm angry at the police for doing this to me, but I'm not angry at the situation because I think that deal that I'd done in that cell, because I said, I looked up and I said, look, if, if, if I demand, I demand life's justice. And if you get me out of this, if I get out of this, I'm going to do everything I ever wanted to do. I've ever wanted to do like traveling and, and whatnot. Mm. And that was the deal, you know? And that was the deal. And when I got out, I did that. I went traveling and then that traveling, took me to music and then that music took me to acting. So if that situation never happened, if mm. that fabrication of, of that crime never happened, I would never have got to where I am now sort of thing, you know? That's the positive that I take out of it. When you look at it, Eddie, um, your supplication, so to speak, to God worked a miracle. Well... In that it turned know. your whole life around. I thought, I yeah, you can call it God. You can call it God. If you believe in God, you can call it God. But the universe was just with me, you know. It was, it was, I didn't know. I know now about our relationship with the universe, with our vibrations, mm. with the universe. I know I understand consciousness and I understand the seer and the doer and the movie, you know, the movie that we're all living in, yeah. that we're living in. And I've been quite fortunate to understand the concept of the seer and the doer. And somehow through my journey in the last sort of 10 years, I've I've actually found a way to the seer, 
rather than being a doer, if that makes sense. It does. But for people out there, um, well, well, give, consciously- a little, give a little example of that. Well, well it's, it's about the duality of life, right? Everything's a duality, isn't it? You've got up, you've got down, you've got back, you've got front, you've got black, you've got white, and you've got the world, and you've got the non-physical world which is the non-physical energy that is, which is consciousness, which is in us. Now, for instance, if you're, if you go to the cinema, if we, if we look at this life that we're living now as a movie, okay, because Mm. it's not permanent, nothing's permanent. And the only thing that we should strive for that I believe is that which is permanent. So we have to try and work out what is permanent. And there's not a lot of things you can work out that is permanent. Money is not permanent because that can go. Children, not permanent, that can go. Wives, not permanent, they can go. Houses can go. There's got to be something permanent that that we've got to strive for. And through my own deduction, I realised that the non-physical energy, which is consciousness, which is in, is within us all, is the only permanence, you know? Because when the vessel dies, if you go to the cinema and you're on your own in the cinema and you're looking at the screen and there's bombs going off and there's plane crashes and and dams are busting, nothing actually comes through the screen, yet you're watching that screen, you know? Yeah. So if we look at life as a movie, which it really is, somebody has got to be looking at the movie, which is the self, which is the non, which is consciousness. So that's what we've got to strive to find, really, because that's the only thing that's permanent, because if we believe that we've got any form of energy inside our inside us, any form, even if it's infinitesimal amounts of energy, energy cannot be dissipated. So when the vessel dies, when the body dies, that energy has to really go somewhere, which I believe is consciousness that returns back into the universe again, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not about sort of, heavens and hells and ghosts and and when when this physical body dies you know your spirit takes takes on form or anything i believe it's just that energy so if we if we can dedicate our lives to finding that sort of permanence that 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 is what makes us eternal you know and carry on everywhere because we become part of the whole thing again and and our children breathe us in and our wives breathe us in when they pick a blade of grass up to chew it in their mouth we're in all that sort of thing so that's our that's my handle on it you know does that make sense absolutely and do you think eddie i mean i'm i'm a firm believer i totally agree with what you're saying and I'm a firm believer in that we can also in this moment have that realization that we are actually in this moment 
part of everything. Totally. 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 Because everything else is just an illusion. The future is an illusion and the Mm. past is an illusion. So we are everything in this moment. But this is really, in reality, you know, the past, we can never walk again with our footsteps. The future, we don't know. <laughs> we w- will we ever walk with our footsteps? And we stand on this bridge called the now. Yeah. In this perpetual moment that keeps on spinning through the universe. And everything else, the past and the future, is just an illusion. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's an illusion. You can mm. you can you can think, oh, I'm gonna do this and I can do that. Mm. And 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 as a believer of people that believe in God, someone once said to me, the only way that you could the only the only thing you can do that, to make God laugh is actually telling your plan. Yes. <laughs> I've heard that. And it's just such a great a great mm. thing. So it's when you've got when, when you when you attain that sort of knowledge, and I'm not saying that I'm a wise old sage or I'm a, this is independent, you know, this is my vibe. But this is this is this is how I can. <clears throat> this is how I deal with the pains that are coming to us, you know, when people die, when when you when you when you feel that it's the end and you're never going to see these people anymore. It's not true. Because you become part, they become part of you, and you become part of them, and 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 they become part of everything, you know. So there's nothing negative at all about being being there, you know, being in the universe, and and just being that energy in the universe, and it's so exciting. It's just so exciting. I remember being in Varanasi in India, and. It's just the most fascinating place because you you get in a boat of the night time and you and you and you go down the Ganges and as you're going down the Ganges everybody's burning their you know they're dead on the on the on the on the banks it's just these funeral pyres as far as you can see you know and it's just such a magical moment and you know it's a magical moment because you connect with the culture's vibration there, you know, and they and, and death, it, it doesn't mean anything to, to 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 people that are spiritually aware, really. You know, it means more to people like Christians and Muslims and the, the, the these other crazy religions that that believe. That death is a sad thing, you know, but it's not. It's a beautiful thing. And once you get a handle on that, you can live life free. I think, in essence, I mean, leaving, let's leave religion to one side for a moment. In essence, every single one of us has an awareness, Eddie, that we are part of everything, that everything is part of us. Someone that in India is making a movement and doing something is going to affect us. Whatever we're doing here is affecting somebody else. And people might say, well, that's a bit crazy. You've never met these people. But if we are part of the whole, which we are, 
then if there is one fragment of the whole that's sad, let's look at these past few years that have been happening in the world. It's a ripple. Everything is a ripple. And energetically, we are energy beings. Now you, I, everybody out there listening, everybody in the world is an energy. And we cannot, even you and I talking now, we are um, affecting each other. We're affecting the people that listen to us. And if we were to be in that state of consciousness, as you speak of, on a more regular basis, um, I think our life would be very different if we actually contemplated on that point that everything we do affects our whole energy around us. That's, 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 that's amazing what you said, but then we've got a battle against this sort of, uh, this human default mode that we're all programmed into. You know, which is the difference between consciousness and the lie sort of thing. Because we're all, do you know P.D. Ospensky? No. The work. He, he does this work about that we're, you know, our natural human default mode is 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 aggression, you know, because... You get into situations sometimes with people where you say, oh, you've done that. And they go, oh, no, you've done that. No, you did that first. And no, I never. As soon as people get threatened, they 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 retreat into this sort of human default mode. And I think the secret of what you're saying and, and the way around that is people to acknowledge that there is a human default mode which is nothing to do with consciousness. So once you, you you start to acknowledge the human default trigger, if you step out of that into the light of consciousness and talk to them people that are in human default mode and you talk to them within the light of consciousness, you turn them around to consciousness, you know? But there's not a lot of people that can really understand all that because with the powers that be can't let us add that sort of information, you know, because once they get that, once we all get this collectively, if we all collectively get this information, then then there's nothing to control, you know? There's always going to be, um, as you spoke about earlier, Eddie, there's always going to be opposites, that this is the world of opposites. And, There's always going to be light and dark, but the light always overcomes the dark. It doesn't matter how dark it is. Uh, You could be in the darkness of despair, but if you have one light, and by that, if we're going to go on the deeper level, if we're going to look as the soul who is light, if we were to keep that light burning, keep that light within us lit can you imagine the change that mankind can bring about in this world utopia yeah utopia 
absolute utopia. But unfortunately, you know, and that's what we've got to 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 hope. Really, we've got to hope that sooner or later the uh, the world sees it, like you've just explained it. You know, but in reality, and and the complexity of 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 your statement is just vast, isn't it? We can do it. Simple. This is the point. So if we tell people now that listening to this this podcast, that the next time they get into some sort of bickering with another person is to identify that they are returning that bickering in, in a human default mode and to stop in that human default mode and step into the light of consciousness. If everyone who's listening to us does that just once a day, then we're on our way, aren't we? I believe so. I mean, why not? If uh, We are light beings. You know, this is not some sort of hippie uh, illusion that I'm talking about. This is a reality. We are of beings of light, as you well know, Eddie. And in all honesty, no one can dim our light unless we give our permission. But do you think the ego person is of light or yes. the self eye is of light? Yeah, I do think that every single one of us are beings of light. But having said that, and I'm no guru, as you said, I'm not, you know, I'm not wise enough uh, to know the answers. But this is my perspective. And that is that if we didn't have an ego, we would be angelic. And we're not angelic. So we have the human desires because we're human. And to be human is to make mistakes, is to have an ego. Unless we had an ego, we couldn't walk upon this earth. We couldn't eat, we couldn't drink, we couldn't, you know, have children and marriage or whatever. We couldn't do that because there is an element of us, you know, we're, we're sort of fire and earth and water. There's all these elements within us. But everyone's ego, and I can only speak about my own, you know, I've heard this from great spiritual people, has 70,000 heads. And if you cut one, another one grows. And it's very difficult because if you think about it with your bickering and your arguing that you speak about, my ego is going to fight with your ego. That's the only reason that we would fight. On a soul level, we would never fight. But, but the if ego our egos fall, if, if, if our egos were fighting, are we going on the wrong path? Is, is this okay what we're, that we're talking like this now? Yeah, I think it's okay. Right, if our egos were battling each other, mm -hmm. if if one of us realised that our egos are battling with each other and mm. and and step into the self eye, into mm. consciousness, yeah, within the light of consciousness, surely both egos will turn into consciousness. So I don't know if I agree with you that the ego is necessary. You know. The point is that we should ride our ego as opposed to the ego riding us, if you understand. We should be able to control our ego. And that's why 
sages such as, you know, Sri Ramana, he, um, they have reached, you know, they had reached the level of enlightenment yeah. where they could um, overpower their ego. Because this is where discipline comes in. This is where the spiritual practices come in. If you are disciplined, you can actually leave this world while you're still living in it. This is the whole point of highly evolved beings, of spiritual people, of holy people. So we but are do you all... not. But, but do you not think it's not about attaining this sort of... Uh... <clears throat> enlightenment it's just remembering it we are all enlightened anyway but we've just forgotten so but it's all these, about yeah yeah really investigating it again it's like i said earlier on really you have to you have to you have to chase to find the seer rather than the doer and to me the ego is the doer and the seer is 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 where we want to be but we need to have a discipline in order because we're still human beings that live on earth and the soul is something that lives, you know, we, it's having, you know, that famous saying, I don't know who said it, where the soul is having a human experience. Yeah. So we're far greater than the physical body. And that's why, you know, highly, spiritual people can be in so many places spiritually at the same time because they have completely put their spiritual body over their physical body and this is something that um we can all attain to and that i feel is forget these people that try to control us whether they be people we know or don't yeah. know or whatever, forget them for a moment because it's irrelevant. If we are focusing on ourselves and keeping that flame within us alive consistently, consistently, because that's what matters is having lots of people. You know, there's like, I don't know how many people on the planet. They say 8 billion. I don't know. But imagine 8 billion people rising. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, I, you don't really have to imagine that, really, do you? Because it's, yeah, well, I don't, I don't know. It's just that I, I, I suppose we're all defined by sort of hundreds and hundreds of different sort of characters aren't we uh, uh personalities because <clears throat> the personality that you're talking to me to now is uh -huh. a completely different personality to which you speak to your best friend or you speak to your mum or you speak to your your father or you speak to someone on the phone that's trying to sell you something so we're just defined by hundreds and hundreds of different personalities so i suppose we have to try and find the personality that the the real one you know it's like oh, it's 
it's finding the permanence, you know. It's just finding what's permanent. And once you find out what's permanent, because nothing else is worth striving for, everything that we've been talking about, unless it's permanent, it's just irrelevant, you know. So we yeah. have to try and find what is permanent. And the only thing that I that, that I can conclude is that it's the non-physical energy that we all are, which is consciousness. And until we're all tuned into finding that, you know, that's when it's all going to change. And what do you think it will take, Eddie, um, to remind people to tune back into their own frequency? It's podcasts like yours, Mimi, you know. It's just even if you can turn one or two people on, you know, that they understand it and then they can turn another people, another person on and another person on because it really does work. Because before I started sort of embarking on this journey, it's like, for instance, with my wife, you know, we would just, we would just, coexist in a in a sort of human default mode all the time backwards and forwards backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards but when you understand them triggers and you step out of that human default mode and then you start sort of conversing within the light of consciousness it sort of turns that human default mode into from the other person as well and that other person actually sees that you know because if you're so used to speaking in this default mode all the time, all the time, all the time. And then you don't, uh, and, then, and then you leave that human default mode. The other person actually sees that and go, oh, you know, that's different. And then they start responding to you within that light of consciousness. So until everybody can recognize the trigger of a human default mode, which we're all programmed into. No, no one's sort of uh, free of that at all, because that's the programming. That's what, that's the controlling factor. But until we all become aware, it's like I said to you, if you're having an argument with somebody and then the arguments, there comes a point with this argument where one, one of, one of them two people that are arguing decides to step out of that, that default mode and start talking within the light of consciousness, it will turn the other person. It's like Boris Johnson and all these people, if they never lied, if they, if they don't lie and if they admit, if, if they get, if they talk in that human default mode that they talk, these politicians and all that, and then someone says, you know, that's not right what you're saying, you're lying. They go, oh, no, it's not, it's not. But And they start trying to babble on and babble on and babble on and babble on. Then if you lead that conversation, if that politician actually stepped within the light of consciousness, it'll get received far more better than being in that human default mode, you know? So we and, can't never yeah. get to that until the people that, that we're looking at start tuning into that that consciousness sort of side of life. And that's when it really becomes beautiful, you know. If you just amass, if you amass people around you that are all sort of consciously aware, it's such a beautiful gathering, you know. And Eddie, do you, um, you are someone who practices meditation? 
I do, yes. Yeah. And what has that brought into your life? Well, it's 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 shown me how uh, how difficult the mind is, you know, and how difficult thoughts are, and 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 how uh, how deceiving the mind is, really, as an as an organism that that's living it, in it on its own power sort of thing and through meditation that the objective of meditation is to kill thoughts so if you kill thoughts there is no mind because if you've got no thoughts you've got no mind and once you start meditating you start calming your mind and calming your thoughts the things that actually make you anxious you actually realize that they're only thoughts so get rid of the thought and there is no fear. So if you're scared of something, get rid of that thought and you won't be scared anymore. And meditation's about getting rid of those thoughts. It's about calming the mind because, you know, the mind will follow the heart. Uh, the mind will follow the heart, but the heart would never follow the mind. So you've got to try and get that equilibrium, really. And it's all about thought. It's all about the mind. Know it when you're meditating. If you do you meditate, Mimi. Yes, I do. Yeah. Right. Do you ever have them? Do you ever have them moments when, in meditation, your mind starts sending thousands and thousands of different thoughts into you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It says, "What the hell are we doing?" Right. I'd rather be having ice cream. <laughs> right now, the only reason. That them, that them thoughts are coming is because the mind knows you're trying to kill it. You're, you're, it's a survival thing for the mind to try and stop you calming, calming them thoughts. So once you declare war with the mind, the mind will just send thoughts, 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 thoughts into your head to take you away from that meditative state as 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 as, as much as it can. But if you get to the point where you can meditate and think of nothing, and then the mind gets trained, and then you can train the mind because then you have them sad faults or you have them horrible faults or you have these faults that you don't want. But once you train the mind, you can stop thinking of them faults. You can throw them away. That's what meditation does for me. You know, if a, if, a, if a horrible thought comes into my mind, over the years, I, I, I've sort of tuned into being able to not think of that thought anymore and throw it away and know it's just a thought. But until you get that technique... Pardon? That's a very powerful statement, Eddie. Well, it's true. Mm, mm. You know... It, it is true. It is true. And it's like, I heard this... Again, I, I can't remember who said it, but I keep this in my mind that your thoughts are not you. Of course they're not. Mm. It's the mind. It's yeah. the mind controlling you because it's mm. got to survive. And the only food that the mind is has is thoughts. So if you kill thoughts, the mind's not being fed and it starts to panic. And it starts throwing, you know, you walk, and, and the majority of, 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 of the crap that, that, weighs, that weighs us down 
it's all in the past, you know, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have done this, I shouldn't have done that. And the more you're thinking about that, the more the mind is being fed. And if you can learn to curb them thoughts and just throw them thoughts away, you know, the mind starts to calm. It starts getting trained because it will throw all this stuff at you to stop you killing it sort of thing, you know? So is the answer really that old saying, which I, I like and love to live my life by, Eddie, is to follow your heart? Totally. Totally, totally, totally. The heart just speaks to us all the time, all the time. And and we it's like, you know, in the Bible, in, in Corinthians, when Paul writes his letters to the Corinthians and he says one thing that is just so, so sensible is that we all know the right and the wrong food to eat, you know? So if so you go to a restaurant and you order fish and they bring two plates of fish and one plate is full of manky, stinking fish and the other plate is, is beautiful, beautiful, beautifully cooked, marinated fish, you know, and you've got to choose which one to eat, you know, you choose the beautiful fish. But so many times people choose the horrible fish. And then they get ill and they get sick and they think, oh, I should have had that other bit of fish, you know? <laughs> and that's how, and that's what the heart does to us all the time. But whether or not we choose to listen to it is another thing. But that comes with life experience, really, because sooner or later you actually hear the right voice, the two voices inside your head, the one, the wrong voice and the right voice. It's only by listening to the wrong voice for so long that you actually start getting familiar with the right voice, you know? Yeah. That's what I think in my experience, that, that, but that's me. I don't, I, I don't sort of expect anybody else to, to feel like that, but that's what I've learned, you know, through all this prison, through everything. Through, I, I realize now that something was telling me all that time that this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, you should do this, this, this. But I, I chose not to listen to that. And at the time now, I can really, really, I'm quite fortunate, really, because I, I really can hear the two voices, you know? I was going to ask you, um, but I knew what the answer was going to be, is are you friends with your heart? Because I think that's that's the key. There's no better friend, Mimi. Yeah. There's no better friend. And this is what I'm saying to you. This is the difference between the sort of the ego and the self-eye. You know, there's no better friend than the self-eye. If we if see the differences with these swamis that live on these mountains, uh, I, I, I met this beautiful swami on the mountain and I spent a lot of time with him, really, really a lot of time with him. And he, uh, in 1999, he was in the tax system of the Indian sort of tax office sort of thing. And then all of a sudden he started to get enlightened by meditation and he gave everything up, 
absolutely everything. All his attachments, he just gave up. He, he just gave up his family, just absolutely everything, and he just went to live on this sacred mountain, and and he's he's lived there ever since. And it's really difficult to explain this about giving attachments up because attachments are the only things that are actually stopping us from getting to bliss, you know? Yeah. And and this person's got no attachments and he's just in total bliss. He's got no electric bills. He's got, I mean, it's horrible to say this, you know, and, you, and, and you've really got to understand enlightenment, to, I should imagine, to, to get to this point. But it's attachments. If we can understand the negativity of attachments, whatever attachments, because it's only attachments, attachments that stop us moving forward, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. You know, but to mm. get to that point, I God, you know, God knows how you get to that point. Really, God knows how you get to that point. <laughs> it's because, a journey, isn't it, Eddie? Well, you feel you're at that point. You feel you're at that point, and then you think, "No, I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I, I couldn't lose that attachment." You know, mm. but in not losing that attachment, I mean, it's, it's by definition, really, isn't it, attachment? Well, you know what, you know, the sages say it's not that you own that you shouldn't own anything, but that nothing should own you. Correct. That is that's put perfectly. That is that is perfectly. Put Mimi, that what you just said, and that's that's really inspired me as well. That's that's made sense of a lot of things what you've just said there, and that makes life a lot easier when 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 you say that is 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 not have anything, but don't let anything on you. That is the perfect way of putting it. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. It, it's something really that um, helps me through my life, and you know let's abandon everything let's abandon everything well actually hold on your presence is needed wherever you are so you need tools to do that job whatever that job may be but you know when I read this many many years ago Eddie you know that it's not that we shouldn't own anything but that nothing should own us changed everything perfect yeah that is that. That's so beautiful what you just said there. That was, that, and that's and that's what it's all about, really. And that explains the attachment side of it, doesn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I go all rally out. I go all rally houses for about <laughs> half hour, and you just come out with it with like. Well, he's not, they're not my words. words. I, have to say. I can't take credit for that, but I read that somewhere, and um, many years, as I said, and I thought, oh yeah, that's true. Or you know. Something else, it's about being um, alone in the crowd. And it's not that we shouldn't mix with people um, and be with people, but that we still have that inner serenity that nothing can touch us, that we are alone with the divine, you know, however you want to call it. that we have that presence within us that keeps the equilibrium that you talk about. Yeah. And that's the only thing that's permanent, isn't it? Yes. And that's what I'm saying to you. So that if we strive 
to find what's permanent, we can't go wrong. Well, all else, as you said, is nonsense. It is. It's nonsense. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's just nonsense because everything I think that you can touch with your hands uh, falls through your hands. Yep. Uh, there's no permanence in that. Nothing. But it's what touches our heart, what becomes part of us, that's an everlasting permanence. And we can find that. Yes. Can, no, not find it. That's the wrong word. We can remember that, you know, yes. because yeah. we've always had that. Yes. But yeah, concept, we can remember it. Yeah. Yeah, we, we can remember that. And that's what meditation does. It, it just, it, it takes you to the, it takes you down to creativity and, 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 and intelligence, you know, to be able to remember that everything we need everything we needed every single part of what we want we've already got but we've forgotten it's like when a baby's born you know the only thing a baby does is cries when it's hungry and cries when it's got a dirty nappy there is no other concept of that. And at that point of that baby, they've still got that, you know? They've still got that consciousness. They're still, but it's only when parents start saying, yes, no, you can't have that. You've got to do it this way. You've got to do it. Then it sort of builds, builds layers and layers and layers and layers on that, on on what we what we what we naturally have, you know, Mimi. Yeah, it's true, so and it's, it's very spend, true. If we spend our life stripping to the age that we've got now and we mm. spend our life stripping away that uh, concept and getting back down to to what we already have inside us and, and find it again, that's how it all, that's how the world heals. But this you, you should read P.D. Spensky, you know, there's... Um, uh, it's called the psychological commentaries, right? It, uh, by uh, Doctor uh, Nicole Morris. Morris Nicole. He translates mm -hmm. it. Read it. It's just so fascinating about the work. They, they call it the work, and it's all about the difference of of, of human default mode and consciousness. It's fascinating, and you see it every day. Once you once 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 you start investigating it, you see it all around you. You see that yeah, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? I I think um are you familiar with um transactional analysis, Eddie? No. Okay, well have a listen, have a read of a book. It's called I'm Okay, You're Okay. Okay. And it was um I think it's an American writer, I'm not sure. And it's so interesting where Similarly, when you are awake to something, you can't ever unsee it. You can't yes. pretend, can you? <laughs> well, you know, I've just seen that, I don't know, bird turn into a phoenix. Yeah. Well, you can't unsee that. That's no. it. Your eyes of perception have been opened and that's it. And that's the point, I think, where people get scared. Whereas that momentary, you know, like a a butterfly in a cocoon, a chrysalis, and it has that moment of escape, 
in a way. Yeah. And what do you do? Do you go back into that cocoon? Yeah. Which is safety. But once you become the butterfly, it's death because you can't go back to something that needs to move forward. So I think there is that element of fear of people actually being afraid. I think we're all, we all have that of what are we actually capable of? I think that's more within the working classes than it is. I don't know. I think uh, I don't know. To, to, to erase that what I've just said. Erase that what I've just said. It, 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 it's it. It's like I. Michael Caine wrote a book called "What's It All About." And it's, it's and there's and it's really uh there's an interesting thing in it where he where when he be, when when he when he got his break and I mean he was skin he he was he was potless he didn't have no money for thirty five years thirty six years he never had a penny and then he done this audition and he got this movie and then after that movie. He got another movie and they contracted him for like 10 grand a week, right? 10 grand a week he was earning. And he says this line in it where he says, every time I was walking down the street, I was expecting someone to tap me on the shoulder and say, this is a dream and I'm going to wake up in this council flat again. And I found that so, so powerful that, that we, none, of us, none of us really believe in anything that we anything that good happens to us, you know, we expect it to be taken away immediate. Well, the working classes, like I said, it's more within the working classes. It's like in in acting and all that. And the majority of my friends are all working class actors and all that. One of our problems are is that we don't really believe that we deserve to to be where we are, you know. And it stops us in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I understand what you're saying, but I don't think it's limited to that, um, I suppose, type of person because I've seen it in all spheres of life, in all walks of life. I've come across where, in my work, where predominantly i would say i don't know whether it's more women than men possibly um feel that they don't deserve um to achieve success to be have moments of happiness i think it's a far deeper psychological thing but do you um, find that with people that are that are entitled, you know, this entitled? Yeah, I do actually. I do. Person. Yeah, I do. I do. You do. Yes, I do. That's why I say to you, um, I work with all sorts of people, and I find it that the thread runs really through humanity. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I've been with. The really poor people, you know, that I've met um, across the world. Oh, it's an amazing journey you've had. Such an amazing journey. Yeah, the, 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 really, rich, the, really, yeah, the really rich, the really poor. 
Yeah. Uh, from uh, you know, you, you know how it is, Eddie. You've travelled. Um, every person has a story. Every country has a feel. Has um, an atmosphere about it. A smell about it. Um, it enlightens part of you where you would never have enlightened unless you had stepped onto that ground in that country. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's the human frailty. I think we all realize deep within us, although we are so frail as human beings, we can be so powerful. Mm. But ultimately, we have this, I suppose, we have, Again, back to equilibrium, I think we stand on both ends of the spirit level. We are frail, we are fragile, and yet we are also so powerful. And it's getting that balance right. But is it, again, it just goes back to not getting, it's just remembering, isn't it? Yes. It's just remembering that we've got that already. Remembering who we are, Eddie. Remembering what we are. Yes. You know, and when did we lose that, do you think? That's a very, very good question. And it's something that I knew who I was as a child. Um, And I've just done a full circle. Because I knew who I was as a child and then went through the blah, blah. Uh, You know, the blah, blah. Yeah, Yeah, the blah, blah years. Capital Um, B. Yeah, when you know and then you suffer because you try to sometimes fit in. Yeah. But knowing that you'll never fit in. And... You know, I've had different things happen in my life that have made me from a very early age that have shaken me so much Mm. that I have had no other choice but to embark upon the journey of the heart. Yeah. Yeah, I found out when I got got married, you know, because I married, Mm. my wife's grandfather was a lord and her father had, got the CBE for outstanding services in the Navy. And it was just totally, we was at each side of the spirit level, like you said, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, there was, there was, there was a, a gorge in front of us. It was just madness. And I was just so confused for so many years because we were so, so different. Our principles were different and everything was different. But that was just only on the surface. But if we remember what we've been talking about and we talk about our non-physical energy, it doesn't matter if you're black, it doesn't matter if you're Mm. white, it doesn't matter if you're green, if you're yellow, if you're purple, That non-physical energy is exactly the same in everybody. And when we die, that non-physical energy all links up together. And that's the horribleness of being human, you know? But I don't think it's just when we die. I think it's now. 
We are alive now. Why are we here on this planet? That's what we've got to find, the reason. Why are you here? Why am I here? Why are we all here? Unless we can find our reason for being, I will use your words, it's all nonsense. Yeah. And there's no permanence in it. Again, using your words. So there's a reason we're here at this time. There's a reason that you and I are talking in this moment. Yeah. And that's the point. Find your reason. Yeah. Yeah. I tell my kids this, you know. Uh, I mean, I walk down the street and I get strangers coming up to me, asking me for photographs, you know, like selfies and things like that, because they've seen some films or whatever that I've That's because you're famous, Eddie, come on. Well, they've just seen <laughs> films that I've been in or whatever. <laughs> you're humble, but, you're humble. <laughs> but the thing is that, that I tell my kids, which actually makes me feel okay and, and nourished, is that when... When that happens, I feel that we've earned a, a piece of the planet, you know? Yeah. When strangers come up to you and you don't, you know, you've never seen these people before and they know you and they can, t- they, they can talk to you about you and you've never laid eyes on these people ever in your whole life. And it's just like, it, 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 it confounds me because it's just like you've earned a piece of the planet, you know, because there's so many people that are walking about that haven't earned a piece of the planet. It's like yourself, you know, you you you, you can, strangers can come up to you and just say, oh, I love your work, I love this, and you've never met them before. And that's something to be really proud of, Mimi, you know. That's something you've attained. That's a powerful, powerful thing that you've attained. It's nothing to do with ego. It's nothing to do with nothing. And I can't explain how you 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 get to that point. But it just amazes me that people that I've never, ever, ever met before in my life know, know, know about me, know things about me want pictures with me, want this. So that must amount to something anyway, mustn't it? For sure. And also, Eddie, I think not just because you're famous, but do you not think then that your responsibility is greater in that because they already know you, they feel a, I suppose, an attraction to you. So, yes, on the physical level, because of who you are and what you do, but forget that for a moment. It is because of who your spirit is, who you really are, that you're attracting these people. And if you have that ability to attract them anyway, because of, you know, your job, on a spiritual level, what is the next step for you then? Yeah. You know what? The next step for me is is to do podcasts like this with people like you, you know, 
Jesse's, yeah. if you find it so rare to be able to sort of voice, I mean, so many people think you're crazy, you know? We are crazy. No, they do know, don't they? Some people, once, once you start talking about the non-physical and consciousness and, and the seer and the doer, I mean, I love Ramana Maharshi. I mean, he, he saved my he, life, you know? Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Me and my wife split up, right? Uh, a while ago, we was going through a thing, and I was living in a flat in London, and I, and I was drinking bottles and bottles of booze, and just because I was really addicted to alcohol and drugs at, at some point. And I was always into a bit of meditation before, but then I got into Christianity, which was something that I, I, I really regret now, in a way, in some in some ways. But it led me to a to to a place where I lost all spirituality. And then one day I was sitting in, 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 on the bed with a bottle of red wine hanging out the corner of my mouth. And I typed in Guru on YouTube and Ramana Maharshi come up. And by the end of that video, I was booked. Uh, two days later, I booked to India and I was on his ashram three weeks later. How great. And that just changed my life. I mean, his words resonated with me so much mm. that I just were, was compelled to book a flight to India and go and stay in his ashram. And I spent a week on his ashram and I've never looked back since, ever. I've not drunk. I don't drink. I don't take any drugs. I don't, nothing. I just meditate. And that's it. That's the bars for me. And in meditating, you know, tiny, tiny, bit by bit, infinitesimally, bit by bit, you start attaining some sort of enlightenment, you know. And that's why it's so important that people understand that mysticism is reality and it's not, it's not mystical, you know. It's what we are. I think it's beautiful. Huh? I think it's beautiful what you say. And it is actually the essence of life. Mysticism is the essence. It's the beauty. It's the enigma. It's everything rolled into one. And it's what we are. It's what we are. This, yes. this reality, mm. in the context of what we're speaking about in mysticism, this reality should be looked upon as mystical. For sure. Mysticism, in, its, in the context of how people use it, should be reality. It is. Well, not to everyone it's not, because they start, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's just... It is I the think people who to... understand, yeah. who have got some sort of tiny, 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 tiny understanding of it. But to people that have no understanding of it, they say, oh, stop talking about that crazy, mystical, spiritual shit, you know, as if it's something that's detached from them, but it's not detached from them. And, and earlier on you said, how do we get people like... You've just got to sort of 
you've just got to stay within the light of consciousness when you talk to ever, anybody really and that and that hopefully shines through for them to understand a little bit of consciousness and once the world is is aware of consciousness oh my god can you imagine how beautiful it would be it would be divine wouldn't it just be divine it'd be like yeah. one of those those movies, wasn't it, where everyone's walking about in little white flowy sheets and waterfalls and <laughs> flowers With unicorns. <laughs> everyone just living in caves and just saying, hello, John, how are you? How are you? How are you? But you know what? Um, however funny that may sound, maybe to some people out there, um, I believe that time is coming on Earth. Oh, I hope so. I really yeah. hope so. I hope so. I really and we've got do. to be... We, we, we must hope. We must live in eternal hope. And we must be the hope. We must be the hope for ourselves. We must be the hope for other people. Yeah. 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 That's the way to do it, really. Because do you know do you know the 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 om symbol? Yeah. Do you know om? Do you do you know the I mean obviously you know the power of om. Yeah, because every word has a power. Right. Now, this is a really powerful sort of three syllables, you know. It's, it's, and, and as much as people that understand the power of OM chant that as much as they possibly can, that will change the world, you know. And do you know what, Eddie? This is a time of manifestation. And such is. Yes, and I think and I believe that never more so than in these times, we can become all that we are through manifesting our spirit. And every word has a power. So we have to be also careful what we speak about and what we say. Because it is a manifestation. So we come back to thoughts. Wow, that's so exciting, isn't it? Yeah, we come back to thoughts. And there is, again, that old adage of you are what you think. So um, there's so much. I could talk to you for hours. Yeah, I know. I I was just thinking about this poor girl. I was thinking you've got to be here all night. No, it it is so interesting. And you have been such a delight, really. But you have to come back again. I'd love to. You have to. And tell people out there, um, you've got a podcast. What's your podcast called? It's called You've Been Webbered. And it's on YouTube. You've Been Webbered. Okay. And you've got some very interesting guests, I have to say. And they're really, really interesting as well, you know. They're really, really beautiful people. People say to me, get that person on, get that person on, get him on, get him on. Get... And I'm, but I'm not interested in, 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 in talking to egos, you know, mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And usually the way... The world that I live in, and the and the and the people that 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 like my that like the work that I do, sort of thing, they 
they just want that glitz and they want, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm really not interested in it, Mimi. I'm just interested in really interesting people, you know. Mm. It's mm. just like I, I, I read your bio. I mean, I've got to let people know how we met, sort of thing. I, I done a random messenger message to you to say, would you subscribe to my podcast channel? And you said to me, I'll subscribe to your podcast channel if you do a podcast with me. Right? And this is how we are now. This is where this is this is this is this is how it how it's ended up. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> and the rest is history, as they say. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> it is, it is. I, I've never I've never knew you before before that random message. No, no, but it was meant to be, and it's fantastic, and it's <laughs> and I, and I feel, I feel, I feel a million times happier now than I did an hour and a half ago. Oh, how lovely! And I, you know, I've been smiling. I mean, the, the, the <laughs> you know. The, your story, as I said, I mean, it's an incredible story, but throughout I have been smiling because I knew that you would be a fantastic guest, Eddie, and that you would be so interested. And that's why I said, you've got to come back again because it's, it's, it's amazing um, all the knowledge that you have. And, you know, it's about time that you share that with people out there, your yeah, meditation, your, your spirituality. There's, there's another phase coming. Uh, that I hope so, and and also, um, Mimi, I'd I'd love to I'd 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 love I'd love just love you to let me know what you think about my book. Yes, I have to tell everybody out there that I have bought High Diddle DD on Amazon. And, on Amazon, and I bought the meditation. I bought the Kindle versions, so I'm all ready to go um, in reading that. So for everybody out there, your books are available on Amazon. Yeah. And where else? Uh, Waterstones, I think, and I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm not too sure, really. I'm not too yeah. sure. So on Amazon, people can find it. So And they're hardback and Kindle, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, if, if, if people put Eddie Webber, high diddle dee day, it usually comes up sort of thing. I mean, well, it's, it's, it's not something that I've I've ever promoted really, Mimi, at all. Well, we're like promoting said, it now. Like I said to you, it, it was it was. I just had to get it out there, you know. I just had to. Good for you. Good for you. Get it out there, sort of thing. But hey, there you go. I think you're incredibly brave, and I really, I, it's fantastic that you have been through so much, Eddie, and that you were able to write a book starring all these films. Um, you're a writer as well, and you are such a spiritual soul. You should really sit down and tap yourself on the back. Really, you should. And that is not from ego, but that is one soul to another. I'll do that. Please do. I'll because take that from it. you. I won't take it from a lot of people, but I will definitely take that from you. Yeah. 
do it because you deserve it. And pause and really think, Eddie, my goodness, how far you've come. And I mean that sincerely. I know you do. It is a it is an absolutely incredible story. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. Now, before we go, for people who want to know more about your work and what you do and your films, where can they do that? How can they find out more about you? Well, if they want to see what sort of work I've done, they they just got to Google me, really, and Mm -hmm. and then there's IMDb stuff comes up and just everything. I mean, if they just put Eddie Webber in Google, quite a few little things come up, you know, Mimi? Yeah, they do. All your films and all the things you've done. It's it's quite funny, really. It's 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 one luxury that I afford myself this, and it is it, it it maybe is a bit of ego, or it is a bit of uh, hmm sort of thing, huh? When people say to me, "What have you done? What was it?" I just say to them, "Google me." <laughs> yeah. and, and afterwards, I think you prat. I could. <laughs> Uh, well, why just, not? Why not? No, but what I said to you about getting a piece of the planet, if I, if you're ever stuck at an airport or anything, yourself included, and you've lost your passport and you've lost everything, and they yeah. say, how do we know who you are? You just say, Google me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's worth it just for that. I can't wait for that to happen. <laughs> just lose it on purpose. And <laughs> yeah, lose it on purpose and just say, yeah. Google me. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Why don't you try that? Now that would be another story worth hearing. <laughs> That'd be me after being 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 released from prison twenty years in the Amazon. Oh dear, dear, dear. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for coming on. Really, it's a pleasure. I wish you a wonderful evening. What's left of it, Eddie? And I wish you a beautiful life. And I do, yeah, thank you, uh, Mimi. Thank you for this. It's, it's, it's been a real uh, breath of fresh air. And 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 you also. It's beautiful to have met you and you, you've, you've made my life a little bit brighter. Oh, likewise. Thank you for your effervescence, really. It's, I have smiled, really, um, tonight. <laughs> and um, please come back again. Because and can you send lovely. me the link to this podcast? Yeah, of course. And I'll get, I'll share it out to everyone because it's beautiful talking to you. It's, it's yeah. been brilliant. <laughs> and my regards to beautiful Brighton. Absolutely. <laughs> Take care. Take care, Mimi. And Thank see you. Soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Eddie. Bye. Bye. Eddie Weber. What an absolutely incredible story. Thank you so much for joining me and my guests. I am so grateful to you all. And it is an absolute honour that we can share these moments together. Until next time, look after yourselves and stay happy. Thank you for listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life, brought to you by your host, Mimi Novik. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode.
For more information about Mimi Novik and her books, music and inspirational work, take a look at her website www.miminovic.co.uk